This podcast was produced as part of the 2020 Cossack Art Awards Public Program. The Cossack Art Awards are proudly brought to you by the City of Caratha, alongside Principal Partner Rio Tinto. We respectfully acknowledge the Namala people, past, present and emerging, as the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was produced. Good morning. My name is Julie Arif and I am a local historian with the Port Hedland Historical Society. And while I know lots about Port Hedland, I don't know a great deal about some of our older towns around us. And um, today I've got Sally Culver with me and she's going to um, answer some of my burning questions that I've got about Cass- uh, about Cossack. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. How are you today? I'm very well. Now, Sally, um, I know you're um, very uh, knowledgeable in all things Cossack, but what is your position with uh, the city of Caratha? And um, tell us how you know so much about Cossack. So my actual position with the city of Caratha is local history librarian. And I've been up here for six years now. And part of my role is to look after the contents of the museum within the Cossack Courthouse. And is there a fairly extensive Cossack content within your um, uh, library, your role that you've got there that you have to look after? Yes, the museum has got quite a few objects. Um, Many have been found, obviously, on site. There have been a few donations over the years from people who family might have lived there and they've offered things into the city to uh, look after and share with the community. How would they go about sharing them? If if you wanted to go in and see the objects, where do they see them? Uh, Is there any special things they need to do? No, you can go to Cossack. Uh, I think it's open most days of the year. And you can just go to the courthouse, which is where the museum is held. Some of the other old buildings within Cossack are also open for people to look around as well. And, of course, you've got the town that you can, or parts of the town that are still there, you can just drive around and have a look. Yeah. Now, Sally, tell me about Cossack. What year did it, it kick off? What year and, you know, what was the reason for Cossack being where it is and, um, you know, when it was developed? So in 1861, F.T. Gregory led an expedition up to the northwest coast of WA and he was exploring the areas around Nickel Bay and the hinterland. So he was looking for more land as Western Australia, the population was growing. On his return to Perth, he gave very favourable accounts of good grazing and agricultural land. And this uh, encouraged the interest in the area. And so pastoralists and graziers wanted to come up to the northwest to get their own piece of the land. And so uh, do you know who might have been the first pastoralist that took up that option? It was Walter Padbury. So he came up, oh, okay. he, he sent up a, uh, a the mystery, the boat, the mystery, which was captained by Peter Headland to find uh-huh. a suitable landing place for his stock. And Headland discovered an inlet near Cape Lambert and it had the, the right landing spot so that, um, and he called it Tim to Sin Harbour. 
And so, and that was the original name of Cossack. So he's he's found this spot and he's identified that this is a great spot for a, a port and a town. Is that right? That's right. And so Tientsin Harbour was later renamed Cossack. And that happened in about 1871 when Governor Sir Frederick World came up to Cossack and he came up aboard the HMS Cossack and so they renamed the town. After the after the boat, after the boat, yes. yes. So it's, it's interesting that um, you know uh, the influence that boating and ships had on the Pilbara. You know, you mentioned Captain Peter Headland, after whom Port Headland was named, and then Cossack was named after a boat. So it had a, a really big influence the the um, the shipping world on on our town. You know. Dampier is another place, so that's very interesting that um, Cossack was named after after a boat as well. So it was gazetted in 1871, is that right? 1872, so officially gazetted yeah. uh-huh. um, Padbury had come up and he'd established the area around him and it was mainly grazing um, and agriculture. I'm guessing sheep, not cattle, like we see now. Is that? Um, That's right. The sheep came up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there anything else that they were doing? You know, because um, I know there were many people see, trying to find their fortune back then. What else were they doing around the area? Well, I have to talk a bit about Roeburn here because Roeburn and Cossack are actually quite linked in their history and and the reason for being. So Roeburn's actually the administrative centre for the northwest or at that stage it was, in 1866. And it was also the only town between Geraldton and Darwin. So that's pretty, quite important, Roeburn is. And so Cossack was actually the port for Roeburn. So that would be how um, people got their goods in and out and they shipped out their own exports through the port as well. So... um People and goods came into Cossack and then uh, made their way across to Robin, which is the, the larger um, town or the only town um, north of Geraldton. How did they, how did, I've been to Cossack. There's a causeway there. How did they get across the causeway? Horse and carriage or, um, you know, how did they make their way across? They had a fabulous horse-drawn tram. And that would have probably not gone across the causeway. That would have probably gone across the the mangroves and the marshes that way, a more direct route into Robert. And that would have been taking their stocks. That would have been taking the wool going out, as well as people going to and from Robin. Hmm. Do you know how long a journey would have taken between Cossack and um, uh, Robin? I think I read it took about an hour and a half. Oh, so it was about 15 okay. kilometres that they had to go. What was the peak population of Cossack at, the, at, at its height? At its height, it would have been the, in the low 3,000s. And it, the population actually depended on the seasons. So the population rose and fell during purling and during shearing season as well. And, of course, there was a Pilbara gold rush in the 1880s, which people rushed up here for, and they had to go through Cossack to get to. Oh, okay. Um, 
I'm guessing they probably came up in the, the nicer weather too, a bit like our tourists do now. Um, um, and I'm not too sure when the pearling season is, but um, um, come up when the weather's nice and visit family and, and things like that and, and go back when the, the hot cyclone season starts. Do you know what year Cossack hit its peak? No, I can't say I do, no. to be honest, but I do know uh, that pr uh, pretty much as it was being considered a, an important town and they were starting to build stone buildings, that it was actually declining. So Cossack really was only um, at its peak for like just low 20 years. Wow. Do you know where they source their stone? Is there an ample supply of stone in the immediate area or did they have to bring it in from, say, Robin or somewhere because it is on, you know, next to the ocean there for the stone for the buildings? Uh, they use local bluestone and they also use the ballast from the ships to create some of the buildings. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So um, you've got a... a really, you know, quite a, a vibrant town of 3,000 people um, and that's quite a large town even by some of the Pilbara town sizes. Now, I'm guessing there might have been some personalities that lived there. Can you tell me some of the, the, the notable personalities um, that lived in Cossack? Yeah, so the Shakespeare Hall was up here, William Shakespeare Hall. So his family was up here and he'd actually been looking after the stations that Walter Padbury had set up. But he brought his family up to Cossack and stayed here. His son stayed on for many years and had businesses in Cossack. Uh, you, people from Perth will know the halls because that hall's head around Mandurah is named after the family. There's another family. Um, so Cossack was actually a multicultural town. So you think about there were the Chinese, uh, Japanese, Afghans, Aboriginal people, Europeans, Americans. So it was very multicultural. So one of the families that were very successful in the town were the Muramats, and they were a Japanese family. They'd come to Cossack in the 1890s and started up an import-export business. Um, the Muramats' son actually did his schooling in, in Cossack, and then he went interstate to do some more schooling. When his father died, he took over the import-export business he was also very good at uh, owning lots of property in Cassack. So at one time he owned most of the property and he also owned half the pearling fleet was mortgaged to him. Oh, wow. So uh, they do have a sad ending though. So the family moved to Darwin with some of their pearling lovers, but they maintained their connection with Cossack coming back to their visit, coming back to visit their uh, businesses. But during World War II, the family was interned in Darwin and unfortunately the gyro, this gyro Muramat died in the camp. His wife did come back to Cossack but stayed only briefly and then she returned back to Japan and died there. So she was probably one of living by herself in Cossack at one stage. Oh, that is very sad, very sad indeed. Um, so um, William Shakespeare Hall, um, Gairo Muramat, you know, and you said that um, Gairo actually owned a lot of land in, in Cossack. You know, he built up his wealth and things like that. Are there still um, landowners in, in Cossack? Yes, there are. 
there's uh, and these are descendants of some of the original inhabitants who uh, still own land in Cossack, which is really amazing that they've kept this land within their families and it's gone down through the generations. I wonder. I wonder if they, you know, have passed. You know, the, the generations that are existing still know that they own land up there, and um, you know, would ever want to come back here and consider building on it or doing something on it. That's a very interesting. Um, now, I've been to Cossack. It was a, a while ago since I went, and I just love the buildings down there. Like you said, the, the bluestone, which is just gorgeous. And they've, you know, um, withstood the weathers of time, um, but I know some of them have been restored. Can you tell me if someone was to go there now, um, what buildings would they see? Okay, so the town, it's mainly around the main streets that you'll see. So the wharf is pretty much one of the first things you see. And then you'll see the Bond store and the customs house. The Bond store is absolutely beautiful. It's got this amazing curved, um, it's just a, a beautifully curved building on one side. And that was designed by George Temple Poole who was the public works manager for Western Australia and he designed many of the government buildings that you can see throughout the state. There's quite a few still exist in Roban and Cossack. You can still see the courthouse which contains the museum and that's a magnificent building. It's just so solid. It's, just, it's a beautiful looking building from the outside as well as the inside. Galbraith store is opposite the museum and the post telegraph office which is the only two-story building in Cossack and next to that is the police quarters or the old police quarters and lockup. So the police quarters now actually has the uh, backpackers accommodation so if you really want to stay at Cossack and experience everything you can spend your nights in Cossack in the accommodation. There is actually a schoolhouse, but that's further away from the main parts of the of the town that's still standing. Hmm. Uh, it's very interesting that you talk about the um, the police quarters being, you know, the backpackers' accommodation, and I've I've just got this vision of um, each backpacker room being a jail cell. Is that the case <laughs> or not? I haven't been there. So. <laughs> no, the jail cells are. No. Separate. <laughs> They're outside, oh, they're separate, yeah. but um, no, they'd actually have the, the the family rooms where the policemen were living and oh, okay, the their accommodation. House. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, that's, <laughs> that was my vision that I had when you mentioned that. Um, so, you know, that is amazing that those that many buildings have you know withstood the um you know the cyclones and things like that since you know 1872 when it was first gazetted and continue to stand i know a lot of buildings have been restored but unfortunately i'm guessing you probably lost a lot as well do you know you know uh, what buildings are no longer there yeah the buildings that i guess we've lost were probably made of timber and tin structures so they probably would have been very easily lost within all the cyclones that have hit the town so you'd lose a lot of the um, boarding houses would be lost and probably hotels as in what we call a pub nowadays so a hotel yes. and um, the areas where the actual 
ethnic groups would have lived. So the Afghans would have had a camp and the Chinatown, they would have been in Chinatown. So those type of areas have all gone. There's some pictures in the museum to give you an idea of how much, how big the town was and how many buildings there were. It just gives you a great impression that it was really quite yeah, a substantial well, 3, town. 3,000 people was a very, yes, exactly. It was a very substantial town. When you think of, you know, towns like, you know, Marble Bar and Nullagine and um, I'm thinking Newman's probably got a population of, you know, about that now. So that is, you know, a, a very substantial town for, you know, that period of time. So um, I'm guessing most of the buildings lost, as you said, were, were wood and timber and they would have been... Um, residential properties and, and um, those sort of buildings like that. That's it. And so one of the things that um, I'm, that newcomers to town would have probably felt really strange is seeing the chains that were across roofs and these chains would have been bolted into boulders or bolted into the ground. And so the community had realised that to save their house in a cyclone, they needed to do something. And this was this is how they kept their houses going or their buildings, yeah, they absolutely. would chain them to the yeah. ground. Yeah, um, you know, it's um, it, the buildings that were built at that time and, you know, to look out on the homesteads and things like that, they were very clever in their design and making things adapt to the weather because the chains were, you know, to hold your roof down on a cyclone. But, you know, building verandas and things like that, so they were very clever in their design and I think we've got something to learn from, from our uh, forefathers um, and certainly in building design, so, yeah. Now, um, Cossack is now a ghost town, for want of a better word, or a, a historic town. When when did it start to fade, and why? Well, as I said, as the as the buildings were being built, it was actually starting to decline. So that would be in the eighteen eighties. So the purling had moved on. So we hadn't really spoken about the purling, but at one stage, Cossack was um, the original place for commercial purling in WA, in the northwest. But the purling luggers and crews had all moved on to better ground, so they'd gone northwards. Also, the harbour had begun to silt up because of, and larger vessels couldn't come into Cossack anymore and they were finding other places around the area to land. And Point Sampson had a jetty that was being built and it was completed in 1903. So that was a much better port to go to, especially for the larger vessels. So it just sort of declined. I guess it naturally declined. And also yeah, one people of the, just moved from, from Cossack to Point Sampson. Is that what you're saying? It was just a transition no, from one town to another? More, more the, the industry moved to Point oh, Sampson because yeah, yeah, people did still yeah. live there in Cossack. Uh, but that that sort of declined as well. So as so, Cossack actually never had a source of permanent fresh water. So they used to oh. bring the water in from Roban, or they used to dig down a certain level to to get water. But that would have been a big reason as well to move out. But once all your government services start moving out, there's sort of yeah. no real reason to keep the town running. Yeah, so by my calculations, about 47 years from when, from the start to the finish. Yeah, yeah, which is sad. 
it is very sad. But, you know, the, the wonderful thing now is that um, the city of Caratha and the state government have recognised that it was a town, it was a viable town, it had wonderful buildings and, um, you know, and it has been restored and saved and is open for visitors to go and see um, our glimpse into the past. So, um, Sally, thank you very much for um, enlightening us all on Cossack and its history and it's in, you know, really um, fantastic um, people that live there and, and everything. It's been very nice chatting to you. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much for having me.